This is the same passage I preached from last Sunday, and so if you've been with us, uh, hopefully it strikes you as uh, somewhat familiar. Uh, Last Sunday, I pointed us to Joseph. We uh, focused on looking at uh, some of his character and his response to the angel, telling him this strange news. But this morning, I'd like to use the same text and briefly look at the two names of the Messiah that are mentioned here. One name tells us what he will do. The other name tells us who he will be. In verses 20 to 21, the angel appears to Joseph and assures him that all of these uh, realities that are striking him, especially the scandal of Mary becoming pregnant and he knows he hasn't touched her yet, the angel appears to Joseph to assure him that this is part of God's master plan. I can't even imagine how Joseph's brain would have processed this. But the baby in Mary's womb has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, he's told. And then the angel gives him two assignments. One, take Mary home to be your wife. Don't abandon her. Protect her. Cherish her. Care for her. And then the second assignment is this. Name the baby Jesus. This name tells us what the Messiah will do, which the angel then explains at the end of verse 21. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. You know, in today's world, mentioning a Savior and certainly talking about getting saved It's often considered religious jargon that's disdained, that's mocked, that's looked down upon. Or even within the church, it becomes all too familiar. It's taken for granted. But this name and its meaning change everything. In order to appreciate the full impact of the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, we need a fully biblical, honest view of sin. Because if you don't believe that you have any sin, you certainly don't believe you need a Savior. Some people look around at the mess of this world and think, how can there be a God if He allows all of this stuff to happen? And I would suggest that Different questions are just as valid, if not more so. For example, in response, has any attempt by humanity throughout history accomplished what we all long for, dream about? Is there really any progress being made across the centuries in achieving peace and goodwill on earth? History is littered with failed human experience, uh, experiments. What hope is there for more of the same? We need to be rescued from ourselves by a power outside of ourselves. And this strange scene provides the beginning of God's answer. To take on human flesh, to live a perfect life among us as a man, and to save His people by paying sin's death penalty on our behalf. This is the beginning of God's answer to all of those questions. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this strange scene begins to reveal to you what Christmas is really all about. 
It's the answer to your pain, to your broken dreams, to your questions of purpose and identity. It's all right here, Matthew chapter 1. Trust in Jesus, the Savior of sinners. This is what Christmas is all about. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, don't let the familiarity of calling Him Savior allow you to forget this miracle of mercy that has already rescued you from your greatest enemy of sin and death. You've been set free to live forever. You've been granted this promise to be with God in His very presence. That puts every other struggle or pain into its proper context The giving of His Son provides the proof of the Father's love for you. Trust that God is at work making all things new. Not just all here and now, in this life, in this moment, because God is not done saving, and when He is, this same Jesus will come again. The second name of the Messiah tells us who He'll be. And it explains how it's possible that a mere man, not not a mere man, but a man, any man, could possibly save all of God's people throughout all of time. In verse 22, the gospel writer Matthew provides this editorial comment in summarizing this entire strange scene of an angel and a virgin and a disbelieving, skeptical, and then believing fiancé who becomes the Messiah's stepfather. This is what Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, quote, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel tells us that the Messiah will be God in the flesh. That's what incarnation literally means, God in the flesh. And incarnation just might be an even greater miracle than resurrection. Because if the eternal, almighty creator of this universe fully became a man, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a Virgin Mary, then why would miracle-working and sin-atoning and death-reversing be all that surprising? This isn't just a name. Emmanuel just may be the most impactful reality that has ever come to our world. A week from tomorrow morning, children of all ages will delight in opening presents. Adults, I want you to suppose that you've given a gift to your child or a nephew or niece or a grandchild or a friend's little one. Wouldn't you be saddened or even annoyed if the child never looked at you, didn't say thank you, and wondered out loud after the last present with paper and ribbon and boxes strewn across the living room, is that it? Wouldn't you be annoyed? Wouldn't you take it personally a little bit? Wouldn't you, at a minimum, be grieved at this child's attitude? That would send a clear message that the thing itself, the stuff, the toy is all important, and you, the relative, the loved one, the gift giver are unimportant. But don't we do that to God? When we come to Him and just want our prayers answered, when we want our requests satisfied, our needs met, 
when we want circumstances fixed and money to show up to pay all the bills and to support a lavish lifestyle and sickness and disease to simply go away. And when they're not, perhaps we get bitter at God or distance ourselves from Him, accusing Him of not being a good enough God. Isn't that what we do to God when Emmanuel, God with us, doesn't seem all that special? It's the difference between, God, I want what you can do for me, presence with a T, versus, God, if you are with me, what more do I need? The richest promise in the Bible has nothing to do with God fixing our lives, God arranging our circumstances just right. The richest promise in all of Scripture is God's promise to be with us. And that promise comes to its fulfillment in Emmanuel, Jesus Himself, God with us. A little child scared in the dark simply needs mommy or daddy's hand to hold, to be with, and everything's okay. It's the picture of family surrounding a a dying loved one. Nothing else is important except being with, presence, C-E, presence, not presence, T-S, is what the miracle of Christmas, what the reality of incarnation is all about. That puts Christmas morning into proper perspective because through faith in Jesus, you already have the richest gift that could ever be given. And then praise the Father who has given us the Son, who, as we're about to sing, is the hope of all the earth, the desire of every nation, and the joy of every longing heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are all that and much more. Show us the full reality of Your name, Jesus, that You, Lord God, save sinners. Show us, Lord, the full impact of Your name, Emmanuel, that You have not made promises to act in our lives from far away, but that You have come among us in the flesh, God with us. You walk this earth You fully experienced human life, and you died as our substitute on the cross that sin might be paid for. Jesus, Emmanuel, reveal yourself more and more. Come, thou long-expected Savior. Amen.